0: It all began in a garden, right? And, and God created a world that was very good. There was shalom. There was this peace that was built into the very fabric of creation. Things just worked well together. Relationships worked well together. Humanity had peaceful relationships with each other, with, with, with the rest of creation, and most importantly, with God. But pretty quickly, that all was lost. Pretty quickly, that, that peace, that shalom, was was broken. Sin entered the picture, and some terrible, terrible things began to happen. We blamed each other for our mistakes. Br- brothers murdered brothers. And, and the close relationship that humanity enjoyed with God was gone. They, they lied to him. They hid from him. The, the world was broken. But the rest of the story... It shows how God deals with that brokenness, beginning with the call of Abraham. God did everything that he could to restore Shalom, to reconcile all things back to himself, to, to the point where he entered into our story. He took on flesh. He, he became a human being. And, and, that, and that redemptive work, it culminated on the cross with the death and resurrection of Jesus. At, at Calvary, Jesus defeated sin. At, at Calvary, he, he defeated death. He took them onto himself and he rose again, inaugurating God's kingdom on earth. And he invites us, he invites his church to, to extend the boundaries of that kingdom, to participate in the ministry of reconciliation until one day, one day, heaven and earth will be brought together. Death will be cast away and all the pain and the sorrow. And the sickness in the world will be gone. Guys, that's the end of the narrative. That's, that's where we're headed. That's where this world is headed. That's the story of all stories. And it's fantastic. And we looked at stories of people around here. People in this room right now. And we saw how their stories fit in to that big story. How, how God met them in their circumstances. From the runaways lost and found, to the people like Elijah that, 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 that were just, they met the end of themselves and they felt like they couldn't go on any longer and they desperately needed to hear God's gentle whisper. Or how about when things don't go according to plan, right? How, what, what, what do we do when life gives us an unexpected curveball and, and we feel like God has abandoned us? And all we can do in those moments is wait. Wait. All we can do in those moments is wait and trust that God has a plan and that God is working behind the scenes in our lives. And that's that's where we left off last week. But there's something we have to be really honest about, right? Waiting for God to show up, trusting in him, that's really hard. And God knows this. So he gives us other people. He, he places us in community. You see... While, while, while the big story, while the grand narrative of Scripture, it, it's honest about life's hardships. It's honest about the trials that come. It, it's honest about the pain that knocks us on our back. While it's honest about that, it also insists that you don't do this alone. Your story isn't a one person show. And that's incredibly important because community is vital. We, we need it. When we go through tough times, we need other people to walk with us, to hold on to us, to brave the storm with us. Guys, we need each other. Community matters. But community is hard. Very hard. And, and that's something we all know. Think about it. It's the second day of what month? November. And what month comes after November? Yeah, you got this. December's next month and and before we know it, we are going to be all be in a really special type of community we 're going to be sitting with our families around the Christmas dinner table and i 'll never forget this Christmas, so travel with me back to Christmas two thousand and two so pretty much picture me exactly how I look right now, and you 'll have a fair representation of good good mental image of how I was back then so so it, it 's two thousand and two and all eight horsemans we're all gathered around the table, right? And I'm sitting there, and I'm getting hungry. I mean, I'm 13. I want to eat. I want food right now. And I am just sitting there, like my stomach's growling. And I've been anticipating this dinner all day long. And eventually, the moment I've been waiting for arrived, My mom, she says those magic words. She goes, "Guys, dinner's ready!" And I jump out of my seat. We run to the counter, and we look at this feast. That surrounds us there's there's mashed potatoes and gravy and there's buttered corn and there's biscuits with different types of jelly there's green bean casserole and at yeah, oh yeah you know what i'm talking about and at the center of it all was a big fat medium rare beef tenderloin ho! ho. so we grab our plates and we go through the line buffet style and me Because I'm smarter than everyone else, I make sure I get to go through first. So I go, and I get my stuff, and I get my tenderloin, and I go back to the table, and I start eating. And guys, this stuff is glorious. Like, it it melts in your mouth with every bite. It's like, oh my gosh, God does exist. And like, as far as I'm concerned, this is it. This is the pinnacle of my life, is this food right here, right now. It is all downhill from here. So I'm in my own little beef tenderloin world. It's pretty awesome. But eventually my family joins me. And by then, I'm finished with my first plate. So as they sit down, I'm standing up for seconds. So I go back to the line. I get some sides. You know, just enough, just enough to avoid suspicion. But I save most of the room for the main event. I I remember my first and only true love, the beef tenderloin. And I stack it on high. And I go back to the table. And I start munching. Now, I'm a pretty great eater, so I polish that off like it's nothing. And I get up to get more, and I hear a voice. Hey, Ben man, why don't you save some for the rest of us? Now, looking back, my dad's words were pretty reasonable. But that's what Ben now would say. Thirteen-year-old Ben didn't think so at all. Thirteen-year-old Ben was upset because he was getting in the way of my beef. He was getting in the way of my of my tender one and I couldn't have that happen. I didn't want that to happen. I didn't I didn't care about my siblings. All that mattered was me in that moment and, and 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 this dinner and my full belly that's all I wanted. All I wanted what was what was mine. So I got angry. I stormed out of the kitchen and I ran up to my room and I slammed the door. Now fully acknowledge that wasn't the best way to handle the situation. I was kind of a brat, which is, which you know, whatever. And, and this is a silly example, but I think it gets at the heart of a much larger issue. People want what they think is theirs. What they think they're entitled to. And they put their needs, their own needs, before the needs of others to get it. And we know this. We know this from, uh, think about it. When, when, when you're a kid, when you're a really young kid, you learn how to say the word, mine. And a very interesting thing begins to happen. Suddenly, everything becomes yours. From, from the toys in daycare, they're, they're mine. And from the TV remote, it's mine. And from that glass antique bowl your mom doesn't want you to play with, it's mine. And this obsession with mine, this desire to get what is ours at the expense of other people. It doesn't go away. At times we're selfish. At times we, we only care about ourselves. We try to make ourselves look good at the expense of others. We, we talk badly about people at school. We only care about our own personal success our work. We, we lie to people. We don't show up when others need us to. And, and when you take a lot of us, maybe even a couple hundred of us, and you place us inside of a building, so potentially bad things can happen. Yeah, community matters, but community is really, really hard. But here's a spoiler for you. Community's been hard for a really long time. Since, like, forever, people have always been obsessed with mine. They've always wanted to get what they want, and they've always fought because of it. But here's the good news. The Bible, the, the story of all stories, it, it's honest about that, it, and it shows us how God meets us in that brokenness, how God pushes back against that tendency, and ultimately how God builds and transforms our lives through community. So today we're going to take a look at a broken community. We're going to look at the churches in Rome, and we're going to consider what Paul says to them, and we'll figure out why it matters for us. But first, I'm going to pray, so please bow your heads with me. Oh Jesus, thank you that you're alive. Thank you that you're Lord, that you're Lord over this world, God. Thank you that your kingdom is here and you're actively involved in reconciling all things back to yourself. Lord, you're in the business of changing hearts. You're in the business of changing lives. So God, right now, I ask you to do that. I ask you to show up big time. I want just 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 have your way in this room. Speak to us with the, in the only way that you can, Lord. For you alone are glorified. God, thank you for cross, that cross. Thank you for just the grace that is ours. Thank you for your faithfulness that is always, always present. God, we thank you for your presence. And we love you. We pray all of this in Christ's holy name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 18 today. So the words will be there uh, behind me. And there's a Bible in front of you too. So read along with me. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others." We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. In accordance with your faith, if, if it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be genuine. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. so there's a whole lot here, and, and, and we're not going to cover it all today, and that's okay, but I think Paul's words get at the heart of something really important when we think about community. So first, let's look at the historical background of this letter. Now, Paul's letters are kind of like ancient cell phone conversations, and we only get to hear one side of the story. It's, it's kind of like when you're driving down I-95 and your friend answers the phone, which by the way is a big, big, big pet peeve of mine. I hate it, which is another talk for another time, but your friend answers the phone in the car, and you can only hear what what she says. You can't hear what the person on the other line is saying. But still, you can pay attention to your friend's words, what your friend says, and put together the essential gist of their conversation. So let's look at what Paul says to the people and see if we can piece together what was happening to the churches in Rome. Well, in these verses, he tells the people to not think of themselves more highly than they ought. So, there might be some pride stuff going on. Paul lists several ways that people can serve in church, like teaching, prophesying, and giving. He emphasizes living in harmony and peacefully with all. So, so from Paul's end of the cell phone, it seems like he was dealing with people who were fighting. They were in conflict about how best to serve the church. They, they disagreed over the best ways to worship God, and both sides, both sides thought they were right. And we have some good historical data to, to figure out what was going on. And around AD, uh, AD 49, Claudius, who was the emperor of Rome, he, he exiled all the Jews from Rome. He, he kicked them out. He said they had to leave. So from that point on, only Gentile Christians worshipped in the churches. But everything changed in five years. Claudius died. Nero became emperor. And he welcomed the Jews back. So suddenly, you have Jewish Christians and gentile christians meeting together for worship and and that brought some difficulties because these group these these two groups they had some pretty conflicting ideas about about how to worship it's it's kind of like this so we're in the land of new jersey and we love football right most of us that's that's a safe thing to say and in this region the nfc east reigns supreme And within that, there are some pretty serious rivalries. One of those, the Philadelphia Eagles and the New York Giants. And both teams are great. One team might be better than the other one. I'm not going to say which right now, but but both teams are great, and both teams have great fans. Fans that are passionate about football. Fans that love the sport. Uh, They just disagree about how best to enjoy the game. One team's pretty partial to Nick Foles. While the other team's loyalties lie with Eli Manning. They disagree about the attire that football fans wear. One team likes to wear green and white. For the other, the best colors are blue and red. For for, for one team, the best fans hang out in Philadelphia. While the others love watching games in New York City. You have two types of fans that are passionate about the same game. They just disagree about how to be the best fan. And the followers of Jesus in Rome... These Jewish and Gentile believers, they were the same way. They, they were passionate about the gospel. They were passionate about Jesus' death and resurrection. For, for them, it changed everything. They were ready to die for Jesus. They were fully committed to the redemptive work that God was doing in the world. They were Christians. They just disagreed about how the best Christians acted. The Jewish Christians wanted to follow Torah. It, it wasn't essential, but it was still important. It was still a part of their, their their tradition. It was a part of what they did. They, they just they obeyed the food laws. They observed the special festivals and holy days. And they did it because it's what their parents did. And it's what their parents' parents did. They, they didn't want to let that go. And on the other side, you have the Gentile Christians. And they didn't see the point. They, 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 they didn't do these things growing up. It wasn't their traditions. And these two groups these two christian teams fought and they drew lines in the sand and they cared only about their specific side and guys this feud made the eagles and giants rivalry look like child's play but this was the situation that paul addressed that when he wrote this was the broken community that he was talking to and paul he gives us valuable insight into how we broken people do life together first For Paul, God's grace is the foundation of community. Listen again to verse 3. Paul writes, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. Guys, when we think about how to build community, this verse is essential. Because it begins with grace. Every aspect of Christianity begins with grace. and, And that includes community. Grace is the foundation. And when Paul talks about grace, he, he's always referencing, referencing the same event, the, the work of Jesus on the cross. And, and that's something that Paul talks about again and again and again in his letters. In the book of Philippians, he describes it like this. He says that the all-powerful God of the universe, the creator of all things, became a servant. Some translations say slave, which was the lowest position that a person could have in first century society. And he died on a cross. He was crucified, which was the worst way someone could die in first century society. And he endured pain and ridicule and separation from God for us, for sinners. And that is the foundation and the center of our faith, that God humbled himself to the point of death, that he was willing to restore the relationship that was lost. In the garden. To restore shalom. To be near his people. And Paul makes it really clear that because of this grace. Because God humbled himself. We, like the Roman Christians before us, we need to humble ourselves. Grace makes us humble. Paul writes. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Later. He writes, honor one another above yourselves. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Guys, these verses make it clear that for followers of Jesus, humility is non-negotiable. When, when you understand the cross, when you recognize the sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf, it changes you. You, 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 you can't help but be changed. You have to check your ego at the office door. You have to be patient with your family members. You have to give people that you don't like very much the benefit of the doubt. And it means that when you disagree with people, when people in your communities get under your skin, you have to remember that Jesus died for them too. Jesus loves them too. And that changes how you treat them. It was true for the Roman Christians, and and it's true for us today. Grace compels us. love them which brings us to our third point when you consider authentic christian community grace is the foundation and grace makes us humble but also grace compels us to love and i don't mean some pop culture superficial tom cruise you had me at hello kind of love i mean agape love I mean sacrificial love. This is the love that Paul references in verse 9 when he says love must be genuine. This means you have to love people like Jesus. In little ways each day, you have to give up yourself and lay down your life for others. You have to serve them. And Paul lists various ways you do this. You're, you're, You're devoted to one another. You share with the needy. You practice hospitality you you bless those that curse you, even if you don 't like them, and especially if if, if they don 't like you when when good things happen, you celebrate with each other, and when trials come and they will come, you hold on to each other. You put your arms around those who are hurting and you pull each other through. And guys, an unbelieving world will recognize this type of community. Because this type of community is a force to be reckoned with. This type of community is a small glimpse of the kingdom of heaven on earth. I, I love the way Leslie Newbigin puts it. He, he calls the church a sign, instrument, and foretaste of God's redeeming grace... For the whole life of society. That's what the church is. It's it's a foretaste of God's redeeming grace. For the whole world. That's what we are. Every time we love well. Every time we serve others. Every time we put the needs of others before our own. Every time we build up. Instead of tear down. Every time we walk inside of these walls to worship. And every time we leave them to continue to worship, to, to live out this gospel out there, to go and to love and to teach outside of these walls. We leave this church to be the church out in the world for a world that desperately needs it, a world that desperately needs the gospel, that desperately needs the life-changing love of Jesus Christ. We are a foretaste of God's new creation. And this type of community changes lives. I know it does. Because the Bible, it says that it does. And not just that. Your stories say that it does too. Watch this. We invite you to pause this message and play the video which is provided in the media player. If you are listening via podcast, please copy and paste the URL provided in the description into your browser to access the video. Once the video is finished, please return to the message. That's why community matters, though. Seriously. I, I love seeing the church be the church. Nothing gets me more exciting than seeing the church be the church out in the world. For, for a guy struggling with a disease that I can't even comprehend... And a believer goes and prays with them in the hospital for five hours. To a family going through an illness, going through cancer. And 62 families at this church signed up to bring them food. For someone to go up to you and say, how are you doing? And actually mean it. And in those words, Jesus shows up. And lives are transformed. That's why community matters. Listen, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure what you're going through. Life could be great. And if that's you, amen. That, that's fantastic. Can you do us a favor? Can you share those stories? Can you, can you share these moments when God is faithful and, and let us rejoice with you? Because that'll encourage us. And we need that encouragement because I'm sure that around this room, some of you are in the thick of it. Maybe you're in a valley. Maybe you're experiencing a sorrow that, that, that I don't know what it's like or can't comprehend it. But if that's you... If that's you today, know that you're loved. Know know, know that PCC is a community that wants to, to hear from you, to help bear those burdens. Email Craig. Talk to the church staff. Talk to a member of the leadership team. Don't do it alone. Step deeper into community and know that Jesus is here. Right now. And Jesus loves you. He loves you desperately and he wants to meet with you right now because he is a god that makes beautiful things come from the dust he's a god of restoration he makes all things new and he wants to meet with you today so lean into him say big scary and honest prayers The band's going to lead us in a time of response. And we're going to take communion. And communion's a really, really, really special meal. Because when we take it, when we take the bread and we take the cup, we remember. We remember the sacrifice that Jesus made, his body that was broken for us. And his blood that was shed for us. We remember this grace that Paul talks about. And as we do that, as we remember, we're united together. Taking communion unites us. And not only us, but Christians have been doing this for 2,000 years. So in some spiritual crazy way that I don't understand, but it does it anyway. When we take this bread and we take this cup, we are united with all the Christians who have gone before us. And every Christ follower who will be here after us. So we're going to take the elements together. The band's going to play a song and we're going to begin passing them out. And you can sing if you want to sing. You can pray if you want to pray. You can sit. You can stand. But when you take the bread and you take the cup, hold on to them. And I'll come back in a little bit and we'll take them together.